Hello, and welcome to Inside the Sound of Fear. U.S. officials have reportedly said they're looking into whether some other country's operatives were responsible, like maybe even Russia, which has already been involved in attacks on U.S. news media and voting systems. The Russians have used microwaves as a surveillance tool. Soviet intelligence beamed microwaves at the U.S. Embassy in Moscow for decades at least for part of that time, to send power to passive microphones embedded in a carved seal of the United States. Now please enjoy Peros Fieles. Tropical rain grayed out the sky in heavy diagonal lines and washed the garbage from the Havana streets. The heat and humidity remained, clinging to everything like a fever too stubborn to break. Two Cuban agents, Pujardov and Mira, sat with their surveillance equipment, a telescopic sight, and a slender black rod that looked like a futuristic rifle. Two bottles of American cola sweated on the Formica table between them. Their second-floor motel window faced the U.S. Embassy across Casalda between L and M. Mira was younger, heavyset, bearded. He said, How does it work? Pujardov said, The resonator emits infrasound in a frequency too low for humans to hear, strong enough to power the passive listening device in the room, though. He gave Mira, who was already reaching for the trigger, a wary glance. Impetuous as ever, eh? Mira froze. We don't have a receiver. How will we know what they say? The older man looked through the sight, studying the American building. Do as you're told. We're perros fieles, faithful dogs. Another team has the receiver. Don't worry. The center has taken care of everything. Mira's mouth curved into a cynical smile. Right. They're entering the conference room. The last one's our man. He's sitting down now. Now? Yes, now. Go! Mira exhaled, squeezed the trigger. Pujardov said, Okay, one of the suits is distracted, confused. Carajo, he's putting his hand up to his ear. Stop! Something's wrong! He collapsed! Mira released the trigger. A green fear pulled at his entrails, and he swallowed in a dry throat. Mierda! When the center finds out that we've hurt him, it'll be the end of our careers, of our lives. Remember Levchenko? No. That's because he's gone without a trace. That's the way the center covers up its mistakes these days. No retirement to Siberia anymore. Agents simply vanish or die of strange causes like Markov in 78 or Sandoval in 05. If we wait here, that will be the story of us. What are you suggesting? Defect. To where? The American embassy is right across the street. We could throw ourselves on their mercy, maybe get witness protection. Pujardov considered it. Perhaps you're right, comrade. Let's go. What about the resonator? Leave it for the center. The moment Pujardov stood, his eyelids fluttered, and he collapsed. 
Mira experienced a debilitating high-pitched ring of tinnitus. It was like someone had thrust red-hot needles into his eardrums. He lost his balance, fell to one knee. His world was growing white. Too late, he thought. The other team must have a resonator of their own. Pujardov was already out cold, blood speckled on the lapels of his white Havanera shirt. Mira blinked, and his consciousness slipped away. His face hit the carpet, jarring him awake. He called out, yet couldn't hear the sound of his own voice. Each time he blinked, the darkness was longer. A pity, the story of him was so short. Man, I love that story. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thank you. It's, uh, it's so fucked up, because it's like just agent double-crossing agents, because they knew what they were doing. They're like, oh, what's yeah. going on here? Oh, you're going to leave your post? Yep. You guys fucked up. Yep. Who's who's the predators of the predators? Yeah, who, who is the predators of the predators? Um, this is actually the first story I ever heard Victor read. Wow. From your writing. This is the first one I ever heard you read in person. Um, it was at a hotel in Seattle. Uh, it was a bar at the Noir. And it was a very rainy, gloomy day. And it was that kind of a, a hotel that looked like a, a boat or a ship. Yeah. The wood. Very, yeah, it was very wooden inside and very yeah. like ornate Victorian or some shit like that. Yeah. Um, but it was a classy joint. Yeah. And that was back when you still wore a suit everywhere. Yeah, and yeah. You're still doing the suit, th- the suit gig. I, I still wear a suit to uh, any anything where my picture is going to be taken as a writer, or um, you know, because uh, that's my that's my brand. Um, yeah. I mean, he's wearing a suit right now, everybody. Right in front of me, he's wearing a suit right now. You wouldn't believe it. How he, does it How does it fit? He came in here dressed to the nines. Um, but yeah, uh, I. Um, I think it's important to have an image. The one, the one time I deviated from an image was this one uh, story, which we'll we'll cover later in the in the podcast, um, where I, you know, I played the part of a college student, and so I tried to dress to fit the like jeans and a hoodie and stuff. <laughs> very young demeanor about you, a very kindred spirit. Oh, thanks. Well, I try to stay youthful. So this is obviously like a flash fiction story, right? Talk about that. Yeah. Um, so apparently, in the last few years, uh, this method of short story writing has emerged, called flash fiction, um, which is basically ultra short stories. Like uh, I think five hundred words is the absolute limit of something called flash. But um, this was a challenge to write something in I think three hundred or two hundred fifty words. So it was even wow. briefer. So. There's the challenge. Like it's easy to think. I mean, it's very quick to write. That's one really great thing about it. You can write it in a day. But um, the (laughs) the challenge is to tell a whole story in that few words. Um, You have to have an introduction, a rising action, a climax, a denouement. All the story structure stuff has to be in there. Otherwise, it's not really a story. It's just a fragment. Right. So um, yeah. So. I started in media res, like some of the other stories I, I wrote, where they're they're you know the agents are in the hotel, they're ready to zap the embassy across the street, and then there's a little backstory where they talk about what they're doing there and 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 so on, just enough information so you understand what's going on, 
And um, and then um, they pull the trigger. That's the rising action. And uh, the man falls unconscious, and the agents freak out because uh, they weren't that wasn't supposed to happen. Right. Um, and they decide to go on the run. Uh, the following action, and um, they before they are able to get out of the hotel, they're zapped by another resonator that's held by another invisible team that they don't know about. Yeah, um, they don't even get out, of, get out of the room. Barely yeah. got out of his damn chair. Either way, the center wins. Yeah, that's right. The center does win. <laughs> the idea of sound being used for a weapon is very intriguing to me and also terrifying because it's not a new form of psychological warfare, if you will, because, I mean, it's been used... You know, in Vietnam, they would play, right. you know, loud music. They would play, um, I mean, hell, and where was it they were playing? I think it's in um, Guantanamo. They would just play, like, Ride the Lightning or, like, a Slayer album <laughs> to them over and over. And as much as I love those fucking albums, yeah, I'd probably go mad. I mean, it doesn't matter what you're listening to. Right. But I think listening to something at that BPM and... Well, you're, you're, you're over your, if you view, you have to view your eardrum as a muscle, right? All right. And you can strengthen that muscle to withstand reasonable levels of sound for short periods of time. It does have a threshold to where like it will break and tear, Yes, but it is possible to build the muscle up in your ear over time to have, um, a little more stamina to it. You know, if, if someone sat and listened to, did, did a, a non-audio person sat in a mix room and listened to music for eight hours at 85 dB like we do, Yeah, um, they'd probably feel a lot more stressed and tired than I would. Right. And they'd be like, oh, turn it down. So it's something you have to build up to, and you have to understand, too, that there is a limit to it and know when to take breaks from it. True. And you know, I, I take complete days off of not listening to things. And actually, when I walk through the city, I actually take my headphones out in the city. Yeah. Because... Couple of reasons. One, I, I'm, I, I am a, a veteran with PTSD, so I want to hear everything that's happening around me in a situation like that. Yeah. And two, I enjoy the sounds of the world. You know, I enjoy hearing like even the city. It's there's a lot going on, and I think it helps you sculpt like your own kind of self awareness of what's going on in the world. And when you walk around with headphones on all the time, you're kind of like it's blinders almost. Like you, I, sometimes it keeps me from thinking. Agree. Yeah. Um, and that plays into this. That's what this comes from, the psyche of that. You know, like scientists have known this for a long time that our ears are, your ear balances you. Yeah, you know, definitely. And it can be thrown off kilter really easy. So if you think of it like a muscle, if you go back to that and you're sending a sound waveform at it that expands that muscle to its maximum point and stretches it out, yes, it quite literally makes you go insane. Yes, I, I don't doubt it. And we, we are going to talk about that a little bit later in the series. Um, <laughs> we don't want to give too much away. No, uh, there's another story that kind of goes into that a little more thoroughly. But I, th- I find it really interesting that you bring up um, the thrash metal um, uh, torture method. Yeah. Because uh, I, I had read that a long-ass time ago. <laughs> and um, I, then I encountered it in my working life um i was working on a video game i was music supervising a video game called god of war uh that came out from sony in 2005 and originally video game oh thanks (laughs) um well all i did was hire the composers but (laughs) 
Hey, man, it's got great music and sound, and it's, it's a killer game, man. But yeah, uh, the um, the game's uh, director, um, Dave Jaffe, wanted uh, metal for the for the soundtrack. Like one of his big style guides in making this game was the movie Heavy Metal. Like <laughs> you know, we grew up with that, and and that's basically what it is. It's just a bunch of songs with animation to sort of punctuate them. Um, kind of like a in between Fantasia and and like a, a horror anthology or whatever, but um, but anyway, Dave loved heavy metal and a lot of the stuff about the game was sort of geared towards you know kind of stretching that boundary between like violence and sexuality um, that were rules that were in the video game world for what you could you could create and um, so he was like yeah yeah I want metal so we we spitballed for the longest time. How would we get the equivalent of the feel of a movie like Heavy Metal in a video game? Um, and we finally came up with a, a, a couple of artists that might give modern audience, like 2005 audiences, the same feel that Dave and I had when we went to see Heavy Metal when we were 12 years old. And um, uh, we tried it. We 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 you know we dropped in a bunch of metallic style guides, and um, the problem was exactly what you said. It worked great for like five minutes, mm-hmm. but yeah. after that, the playtesters were like, "Oh, the music! I can't take it. Like, it's just it's fatiguing. It's too much." Yeah. Well, um, see, Doom is Doom is like that. Doom yeah. has is metal, right? And I I am blanking on the composer's name right now, but he's. He does a fantastic job at writing metal for video games that's not fatiguing, but also right. Doom is a very fast-paced game that you kind of, I mean, I kind of run through the game because it's terrifying, but... Well, I have to admit that uh, when I played the latest Doom, um, I I really liked the score that he did, but th- the fatigue factor happened to me. And did, yeah. Uh, yeah, halfway through the game, I started replacing... <laughs> I'm sorry to say this, but I replaced the soundtrack. I turned the sound down on the <laughs> on the TV, and I just cranked up my stereo uh, playing, um, you know, Rossini, like cl- <laughs> cl- class, like frenetic classical music, and that yeah. helped helped me get through it. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it sound uh, controls a lot of our kind of internal radar mechanism in the world. Yeah, and if you think of radar as like your shepherd for walking and talking with people and standing. I mean, it's taken for granted how sound, our ears are this mechanism that control our entire sense of the world almost. Absolutely. I I mean, even if you're a deaf person, deaf people... um, They still feel vibrations. They still feel vibrations. And so they do experience sound, just they perceive it differently than we do. But everyone experiences sound in some way or form. And it it has a direct effect effect on our psyche and balance is just kind of how I sum it up, you know, like it, it grounds sure. us in the world. Yeah, for sure. And, and I, I'm pretty sure that that um, hearing dangerous sounds were are, are drilled into our DNA from like back when we were hunter gatherers. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, and like if we would hear like grass crunching or whatever near us, we'd know like a big cat was nearby and better get out of there. Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I did a talk on this at work about, um, this exact talk on sound of like kind of the, how it affects us. And, you know, it never turns off. Your ears don't blink. Yeah. Um, they're always on 
much like your smell. So there's your two senses that stay on all the time. And mm. it, it is purely for survival. If you think about it, you can get an entire sense of danger from smell and, and hearing. But you hear sound at like something like a 64th of a second. Yeah. And it takes your eyeballs and your brain about, you know, a little bit shorter than a quarter of a second, but somewhere in the ballpark of like an average person, it takes them about a quarter or maybe an eighth of a second to process light. Yeah. But your ears are like damn near instantaneous. And so is smell. It hits you so quick. And that's, if you think about survival, yeah. There's a specific reason, and every animal and species on this planet that is a, on this planet that's a living, breathing thing, um, that's what it's for. Your hearing range is for your hearing range is based upon danger in your environment mm-hmm. and your young, your offspring. Right. It's why we have such a perceptive hearing range around two to eight k. You know, like why higher pitched sounds sound louder. You know, if you played, if I played you a five kilohertz tone mm-hmm. at uh, 50 dB, and then I played you a 80 hertz tone at 50 dB, you would automatically think the 5K sound was probably two to four times louder mm, right. because of the way we perceive higher end sounds. And most people can grasp that because they've experienced it. They're like, yeah, uh, you know, high pitched sounds like make your you tense up, you right. know, like shrill guitars. You're like, ooh, shit, the bass is groovy. Right, <laughs> <laughs> but it's actually more dangerous to lose your lower frequency range than higher frequency. For some, that, no, that's a part I'd love to do more research on. Is the whole if you if you lose your lower range hearing range, um, it can be very disorienting. Mm, yeah. Um, so that's an interesting part on how like sub low sub you know low mid sub frequencies are like our sense of like s- awareness. Right. And our high-pitched frequencies are for communicating. Right, right. And, you know, when when I started writing these stories, um, I I knew I was going to fold each one of them around the idea of some kind of, you know, scary sound um, or a sound from beyond. Um, And uh, the more I, I mean, writing all the stories in this book probably took around two, two and a half years. Um, and, uh, I learned a lot more about sound and frequencies as I went. So the stories at the end of the book are a, sort of a lot more learned in, uh, in, in like what low frequency and high frequency sounds can do. Um, but, uh, I'm looking forward to, to kind of, you know, going over all those with you and, and seeing how, how everything has changed. <laughs> Me too. I am too. Uh, so this story, um, if we go back to Pieros Fieres, uh, this is kind of a true story. Oh yeah. It's totally it, true. It's totally true. I mean, like, um, it turned out to be true. Like it, it was originally, it was, it was an article that I read in Wired. Right. Um, and I don't remember the author right now or I would credit him, but, um, it, was like the, the article ended with a question mark. It was like, "Are U.S. ambassadors being targeted in Cuba?" And uh, there were a bunch of uh, dudes working in the embassy that um, were getting headaches and loss of consciousness, and and nobody knew why. And um, I no, did nosebleeds too. I think right nosebleeds. Yeah, yeah. Nosebleeds, yeah. Um, nobody could explain it. Uh, and um, I thought, hey. I did a little research on 
subsonic uh, or an infrasonic um, s- uh, weapons and uh, and devices that projected that that sort of energy. And I was like, hey, it'd be a really great idea if um, somebody could power a passive listening device, which is obviously something that Cubans uh, working for the Cuban government would love to do in the U.S. embassies, hear sure. what they're talking about in there. So, uh, and, and obviously the Americans have very sophisticated ways of detecting active bugs. But if one were passive and it were powered by an outside source, that seems like something that could be done. So uh, I wrote the story as a work of fiction. And it turns out that's exactly what was happening. They, yeah. they just published a thing a couple of months ago saying, yep, it was a subsonic weapon that they were using to power a passive listening device. So, you know, every once in a while, uh, you know, speculative fiction writers are correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, shit, science fiction has driven some technological advancements because, you know, some engineer somewhere says like, huh, you should build that. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah. Um, I'd like. Hopefully, people don't get ideas from writers to do bad things to people. <laughs> um, their intent wasn't to hurt them, but they inadvertently created a weapon. Right. Um, and I mean, it's kind of like hitting someone with a microwave frequency, man. I mean, you yeah. could fry their brain with stuff right. like that. You could really fuck someone up, man. Yes. You could do, give them. I mean, permanent hearing loss for the rest of their life, and it. It's kind of crazy that you would think, did they test it on anyone before they did that? Yeah, I, I think that... Which is it, uh, scary to do. It too. was unintentional, like the, the damage that was... I think that it was probably not obvious at first. Like in, in my story, it's really dramatic and it's really obvious. But in right. real life, it probably was a gradual thing that they just didn't realize until the you know the diplomats started going down uh, and, and had needing medical attention. Um, and then I assume they stopped. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were like, oh, we didn't want that attention. We were just trying to spy on him. Shit. Right. Didn't mean to kill the fucking guy. Right. So uh, that, that probably ooh. blew it wide open. Um, and they, they, they're trying to spy on them some other way now. And just to kind of loop this back to what we were talking about earlier, uh, I mean, cats and dogs, at least, have way more sophisticated hearing than humans do. Absolutely. Um, so they can sense, like, that's a lot of times when cats start freaking out um, when a, a you know, large truck rolls by or whatever, it's because they can they can feel the, vibration, uh, feel the vibrations before we do, or perhaps hear the vibrations before we do, um, and... Um, and I don't, I don't know if they can also hear high frequency. I know dogs can because yeah. the dog whistles are inaudible to humans. I think uh, cats are more of a, on the lower spectrum of, mm-hmm. you know, the EQ curve because of, I think it's a nocturnal thing. Oh, uh, yeah. You know. Uh, hey, and if you guys want to uh, write in with questions, comments, and concerns or uh, want to correct us on some of these things and learn us, Victor, can you share the email? Yes, absolutely. Um, please, yeah, email us at insidesoundoffear at gmail.com. You heard it there, folks. Well, Victor, thank you very much. Uh, this episode was really exciting. I I really like this flash, flash fiction category because it's just like, keeps you on the edge of your seat the whole time. 
Thanks. You know, uh, anybody out there that's interested in writing flash fiction, um, I'd recommend Flash Fiction Magazine. I think they publish a new piece every day. Oh, wow. So they're always looking for new material and they will critique your work as well, or at least they critique mine. Um, and um, you can uh, get your, your, you can hone your flash fiction muscles right there. Very cool. Well, Thanks for tuning in, and we will be back talking to you all on our next episode, Loki's Daughter. Loki's Daughter.